There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this bonus edition of the Media Podcast, brought to you this week by Social Circle. Today on the pod, we consider the world of influencers. That particular school of marketing, which pays celebrities to endorse products, has been given a boost thanks to Twitter feeds and YouTube stars. Over the next hour, we'll lift the lid on this industry with a panel of marketing gurus and their brand endorsers. You'll hear from Chris Croissant from Chorus, James Erskine, director of Social Circle, Chris Jackson, social lead of The Supergroup, Mark Walker of talent company Free Focus, and Connie Glynn, a.k.a. YouTube star Noodlerella. Let's tuck in. The chair is Olivia Allen. So let's break the ice. First question. Should we go straight to James? What's your favourite influencer campaign that you've worked on that wasn't yours? That I've worked on that wasn't mine or that I've seen that wasn't mine. I've worked on loads that I have nothing to do with. Yeah. (laughs) So I've seen two examples of influencer campaigns recently that uh, kind of blew my mind a bit. One was exceptional in its simplicity. There is an American brand called Boxed Water, which is kind of an, an ethical um, water brand. And very simply, what they did was they tasked a load of Instagrammers and a load of Pinterest influencers, read Pinfluencers. Ooh, doesn't that make you sick? But there we are. So the Pinfluencers and the Instagrammers were tasked with taking a picture, a single image, or finding a single image that made nature look wonderful. And they retweeted it with a simple hashtag that said retree. And as a result, the boxed water company in the States would then plant two trees for every single image that was posted. So it was an organic feel-good story. They then sent the same influencers to the forests where those trees had been replanted. And it added content. And you kind of got that content cycle all owning issues around boxed water, but more naturally the environment. So it was a really nice one. And then the other one I saw towards the end of last year was British Airways. They re- it stemmed from part of British Airways called their Innovation Lab. And what they did was they put a load of influencers, opinion formers and creators on a plane that left Silicon Valley and flew in a great big circle for five hours. And they asked all of the people on the plane to collaborate. And as a result, some of the collaborations, they selected five when they got back. And five of those different collaborations, they've moved forward to either business ventures or campaigns. So really nice actually using the collaborations between opinion formers. Um, so, yeah, two examples there. Chris, Chrissy. Um, so I've just got one um, being the uh, L'Oreal Yours Truly campaign um, for their, I think it was uh, tr- True Match or something. They launched 23 um, shades of um, different kind of uh, tones for different um, skin colour and tone colour. And they, um, so they worked with 23 influencers and influencers. That was across uh, YouTube and Instagram. Uh, they launched uh, the sort of digital campaign with Cheryl Cole um, online and then um, continued that momentum on digital with the influence campaign. And it just came across as, as very genuine, you know, real people um, uh, kind of talking about makeup rather than kind of superstars. Um, and then what followed that campaign was then the TVC. So just um, nice to sort of see the kind of uh, shift um, being weighted a bit more towards digital. Great, thank you. Um, Mark? 
Um, I think one of the ones that I was kind of jealous to not have one of our clients work on is also one that I didn't like as well. I liked the idea of it, which was the Coke TV campaign they did with Dodie. I think engaging a, a creator for a whole year and a, a set number of videos and actually having some continuity going on, I, that was something I was really impressed to see them do. But then I thought the actual content itself was quite cheesy and I didn't like the whole product placement, the way they, they'd have like Dodie stood around drinking a bottle of Coke really obviously. It just They could have done it a lot subtler but um i'd love to see that kind of campaign with it using a digital influencer but more like the nike fk tweaks campaign that's all over london at the moment so the digital talent are actually getting some exposure outside of the screen as well um but then in return the brand's getting the exposure to their fans so that's that's kind of if we could marry those two up together and chris jackson uh so to kind of um a lot of the brands that have kind of been spoken are quite big like mega mega budget kind of campaigns and to get reach um one that really kind of stood out for me is i spent some time in san francisco and there's an app called the outbound collective and essentially this provides you with guides on hikes and trails and trips that you can do across the u.s and so what the outbound did they essentially got a range of influencers and every day they get the their different influencers going out across the u.s and going and taking these different hikes and trips and so you're using like Instagram stories to essentially show people visually what's happening. So whenever you log on to their Instagram page, you're essentially going to be kind of transported to somewhere across the US of someone just having a rad trip and basically talking you through their experience. And this is just something which is so cheap and these people are so passionate about doing it. And like almost like the opportunity to get on the channel, people are just hungry to do it and to kind of share their experience. That's really lovely. Didn't know that example. And Connie, finally? <laughs> um, I actually have to say it's one of my own ones. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, it was Carrie Hope Fletcher did it as well, and it was the Trolls campaign. Um, so both of us went to voice characters, and it was so natural for us. We both do a lot of voice work. Um, a lot of people come to our channels looking for that kind of stuff, and it, just, it was so natural, it was so fun. They just got me to vlog the experience of voicing this character, so it was the kind of content people expect anyway. Um, yeah, and it worked really well. <laughs> did? <laughs> um, and we'll stay with you, Connie. What's your worst example of a campaign? Doesn't have to be yours. Okay, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name you any names, to name it. obviously. Yeah. And there's no one in particular that I would choose. It's any campaign where they try and hide the fact it's an advertisement for something. Because as soon as you're trying to hide it, I mean, our viewers aren't stupid. They know it's an advert. They're gonna think that you don't have faith in the product, which means everybody loses out. Yeah. I agree. Mark? Um, what did I, your... Yeah, I think, like I said, the Coke yeah. one kind of grated on me a bit, but I guess one of our bugbears, and James will probably agree with me, because James is here as well, is like the, the amount of approaches you get from mobile apps, and there's only so many videos you can do where you're yeah. incorporating <laughs> mobile apps, so they start to get a the bit... The first ones do work well. Yeah. The first <laughs> What's on Your Phone video always does great. Then well, after that, yeah. it gets a bit tired. Yeah. Well, we all have mixed emotions on Best Fiends, for example. Like, I love them. That's a great, I Best Fiends them. are great to work with because they've got. A, they seem to have an endless pot of money, which is yeah. obviously nice. <laughs> so everyone wants to work with them. They give you the freedom to just do what you want on your channel as long as their messaging is is incorporated in there. But we've never had like a, a video return from them where they've wanted changes. Everything's been signed off straight away. I think because they're so easy to work with, it means the Best Fiends is everywhere, which means everyone's playing it because everybody knows about it. So I feel like it does work mm -hmm. really well. But then we have some creators who refuse to work with them because every other creator is yeah. working with them. So it kind of, you get a That's bit quite of both an obvious yeah. piece of branding mm -hmm. content. That's natural. Um, Chris Jackson, what's your worst? Uh, yeah, so like, like the other guys probably don't want to name names. Um, but I think for me, it's That's when you see... <laughs> It's when you just see brands basically work with an influencer once, they get the post out and it's gone again. It's like, what, what's the point? Like, this is, this is about relationships, about keeping people engaged and there's no authenticity. So basically, any campaign where you see a brand work with an influencer once, it's gone, is pretty much kind of gets a red cross from me. James? So I will name names um, and, and I'll, I'll even no, slag off some just... of our own work, actually. Um, so around six, maybe seven years ago, when we were first untapping this influencer space and looking at the effectiveness, we are the reason why most YouTubers at one stage or another have said, hey, get a free 30-day trial of the Audible service. So that's our fault. Sorry. Um, and 
it started and it worked incredibly well and it was incredibly effective. It was beating their traditional media. Um, just as an example, Absolute Radio delivered 300 trials in a month and our YouTuber activity delivered 1,500 trials in a month. So everything was rosy and everything was brilliant. I'll never forget the post under a Fleur de Force video that said, and I quote, if I see another YouTuber talking about Audible, I'm going to blow my brains out. <laughs> Now, <clears throat> saturation of the market doesn't come close, and the saturation part isn't all of our fault, because people were seeing it from America, people were seeing it from other agencies. There was an absolute rush to jump on board the Audible, then affiliate scheme. So the key lessons there were saturation of market, and we actually aligned uh, their strategy to find dumb stuff, a big influence every month, a small influencer every month, and a niche influencer every month. So there was kind of a solution there. But yeah, to that point about mobile apps, when you do see it on every YouTube channel, it gets a little bit galling. So yeah. <laughs> and finally, other Chris? Uh, yeah, so to sort of follow on from uh, James, there was a, a kind of example that did the rounds in our team with um, Cortana and Clean Bandit. And this was a sort of so Cortana is uh, Microsoft's sort of answer to Siri, and it was a clean band or a band that you might have heard of. It was like genuine content that was them kind of like having banter with the uh, with the app and and kind of um, sort of just hanging out in their living room. But it was just it just showed the very fine line between authentic influencer content and something that is very contrived and and doesn't really um, hit the mark at all. Um, so, and, and to, uh, to kind of also be quite honest about one of our own campaigns, um, I won't name the client, but um, basically uh, we created a piece of content with an influencer um, that encountered so many legal issues and other brands being um, visible in this piece of content that we ended up having to sort of um, sort of censor so much stuff that it ended up looking like some kind of soft porn kind of you know weird <laughs> like everything's blurred out it was just you know we just said look we got to a point where we we're like it's unusable we don't want to use that anymore but it, it does raise an interesting point which we can probably go on to talk about which is working with brands legalities and you know how uh, vlogger content is very different to a um, TVC or digital video that goes out and needs to be ticked off um, by uh, legal departments effectively. Do you find that your clients get quite possessive about other brands being mentioned in videos and things like uh, that? I mean, I think it depends on that conversation and that education piece probably from um, the media agency side uh, yeah. with the marketing teams that we work with um, because those marketing teams are... Um, kind of up to speed on the sort of the the new ground that we're working in but the um, legal teams are I think are a lot more traditional um, especially because they're lawyers uh, their necks are effectively on the line um, if something is flagged and there yeah. is uh, a complaint so um, I think there's still a lot of uh, murky space there I think like ASA rules are very clear but I think um, if anyone ever has done any uh, IPA legal training with uh, law firms um, what I found and this was just a year ago uh, they're great at giving you um, the law and the examples for uh, print and TV and digital but when it comes to social they don't have any examples the, the, the laws are sort of different and that makes it yeah. problematic like we're just in terms of that competitor brand and the soft porn phasing out things we had a really interesting example last summer and we were working on a campaign for soap and glory the cosmetic brand with an american influencer we worked right across the summer across three different video uh, pieces of content and some other bits and pieces and Soap and Glory, I didn't know this before I started working on the brand, is owned by the Walgreens Boots Alliance in the States. And so when Andrea Russett, our lead influencer, was talking about the products, purely declared, so the products that she was recommending that she would look to get herself festival ready, she also said after a festival she likes to relax with a candle, a scented candle. And the scented candle was from Target, now, Target are a direct competitor of Walgreens. Again, you might not know that. 
certainly most viewers wouldn't have known that. So it was a really tough one. I saw it from the influencer's point of view. None of my audience will know that's Open Glory Zone. I completely saw it from the brand's point of view, that Walgreens, that it's yeah. them paying for it. So there's, there's often murky waters, particularly with ownership structures of big corporates. So, yeah, it's a tough one. I think from the kind of brand perspective, the way we kind of treat it is you kind of look at things on a scale. Like if this is a big campaign which is happening, then you want to probably com com um, control the messaging and the products within that. But a lot of almost like the day-to-day -day evergreen stuff, like I'd prefer not to kind of get hung up on what they can and can't use. Like ideally, if we've done this well, they should our product should be front and center. But as a and then have more of a discussion about the creative, less so about what they can't use because if they want to use trainers or whatever that they're working out in day-to-day, -day, then they should do they feel comfortable in it versus like force fitting yeah. every piece of super dry in there so i want to ask you guys what you feel that because obviously everyone on this panel comes from a different part of organizing an influencer campaign and i want to ask you guys what you feel your value is um obviously connie yours probably quite self-explanatory but yeah i have um a really good relationship with my viewers there's a lot of trust already there so they're going to trust anything that i say is good um, so you've got my entire audience at your disposal. <laughs> um, obviously, as a manager, I've, I'm there to kind of be the, the middleman between Connie and the, the agency or the brand and do the negotiations for her, free up, essentially free up her time so she can concentrate on creating content or writing books or the yeah. projects she wants to be doing. Uh, but also, I think for a creator, they sometimes need someone who can be the bad cop as well so if they're not into something they're not having to say directly to the brand they don't want to do it they can have someone else who can be the do voice of them. reason and do it <laughs> yeah. for them yeah so um i guess that's our main role like, like you mentioned we're a bit different to a lot of the other agencies that manage talent we both myself and james come from more traditional backgrounds i'm from more the music industry side of things and james tv and radio so um all the guys we work with um, uh, people who want to do stuff beyond YouTube so that's our, our, our main focus with Free Focus is to go out and find us opportunities like getting Penguin book deals or uh, we've got people on BBC Free and BBC One etc um, but we realise the value of the brand deals and the, the, the money they can bring in can essentially fund the other projects that are the, the more kind of passion projects as well yeah, so. yeah I kind of, um, for me, I kind of feel a bit of like a negotiator because I've got like our chief executive wanting to make sure the brand is front and center and we get the most kind of value for Superdry. And then the other part of me is like, we're, we're, we're going to be working with these people day to day and kind of really understanding that like an influencer isn't just impressions and reach and engagements, but actually like these people have careers, they have aspirations and for me it's about building relationships and long-term relationships with people so on the one hand we want to be able to kind of get the best possible return for our company but equally knowing that actually we kind of structure this in the right way that we can have a longer-term relationship with people and really kind of foster collaboration so always kind of almost balancing that kind of um that kind of negotiation between two parties great and james so it's a bit of a weird one with social circles because we kind of do two different jobs. So I yeah. suppose the first thing is to explain the value of a specialist agency. So there's there's that element of there won't be the most um, obvious talent partnerships in the world. And we, we work with every agent. We work with lots of talent direct. Our database is about 50,000, 60,000 strong. So there's that element of finding the talent. There's also the fact that we have wonderful people on the team, like Becky, who sat behind Olivia. So we have talent uh, liaison, and Becky's a YouTuber herself. So we like to think that we have a better understanding of the space. And then the other side of social circle is the platform. So it's a database, but it's also an analytics tool. So we can monitor what activity is working hardest for our clients. So that's kind of what we add. We know our shit, and we can analyze it. <laughs> Um, I think from uh, a media agency perspective, um, there's obviously the kind of heavy lifting contracts, negotiations uh, that we um, would sort of uh, do on behalf of our clients and also um, make sure that we are um, briefing out the, the, the market so that we're getting the best deals and the best talent. I think that's important. I think... Um, we obviously are representatives of our clients and uh, these, these guys are kind of more representative of the talent and, and we kind of act as mediators um, to kind of 
try and make that process as seamless as possible because there is a lot involved in the background um you know to get a great piece of video from you know the talent so um there's all of that and then also i'd say we do um a lot of the um uh, so obviously the talent are very creative but we try and do as much kind of um, creative kind of direction and strategy around um, why we are working with who we're working how it kind of ladders up into an overall strategy for that brand um, whether that's a campaign basis or for the year's objectives so you know we're not just kind of um, throwing out um, a budget and saying okay great we've got really good engagement so how does that actually um, have a direct impact on, on where we're trying to get the the brand and the client to I also think with with agencies both whether they be specialist agencies or wider agency groups it's really nice to have a big understanding of how the influencer activity so the creator piece fits in with a much wider strategy so even if it isn't obvious so even if the YouTube content isn't on a TV ad or on the side of a bus it's what is happening there and how does it fit in so there's definitely a value there so Chris Jackson, I um, attended recently a breakfast by an influence marketing platform that they hosted, strangely with a piece of it, uh, company, an agency press company. And the moral of their breakfast was that they think that brands should work directly with influencers and there shouldn't be any agencies involved in the process. And I'd be interested to get your opinion on that as someone that works for a brand. Um, kind of, if you see, do you see the value in agencies being involved in the process? Yeah, I think they de like they definitely have a role. I think the thing for me is, um, from working with different agencies over the last couple of years, is that just sometimes people kind of take the easy option. Like the amount of times I see the same names presented to us, it's just a bit tiresome. And that like we're not we're looking when we want to partner with an agency to find new talent, not existing talent. Yeah. So um, they definitely have a role in there, and then I think just on the kind of negotiation side, just making it as streamlined as possible. Like we recently worked on a campaign. Um, last year and it just took a lot of time to basically get everything signed and sealed and by the time we got everything done like it we'd almost nearly missed the boat and then you don't have enough time to kind of plan and schedule the content so i think it's just understanding both parts and making sure it's as kind of quick and as easy as possible and understanding that there's a kind of a business need there Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right, Mark. So obviously you're getting lots of opportunities coming inbound and doing some kind of outbound yourselves um when you evaluate an opportunity for one of your influencers or for connie um how do you kind of see the difference between uh, like editorial and advertorial content so do you say yes to much free stuff on your talent's behalf um i'd never sign off on anything on their behalf without checking with them first but it's yeah it's weighing up the value of of what they're getting so um one of the things i'll often know that 
our influencers will be up for doing where there's maybe not payment is if there's a trip involved so if yeah. it's going to pixar for example for a, a week in san francisco and um there's lots of value there becky and connie both went on that one they they're quite happy to do that for for, for out of fee because they're getting a, a, a thing them. but yeah. <laughs> um although even that said only up to a certain level i've got like when you get kind of emma blackery's up 1.3 million now she's a bit more kind of picky over what she'll do and yeah. she knows she knows her reach as well and stuff so there's weighing that side of it up um obviously the the trolls the trolls example with dreamworks that that was paid for it was an ad but um we took a lower fee than than we would usually do because connie wants to get into voice acting and now she can say she's in a oscar nominated film etc so there's so cool. there's weighing up all that value of it there um but then I guess one of the things me and Connie sometimes disagree on is the more PR side of it. So um, Connie did six weeks of writing a, a column for Maximum Pop and I felt that was something good for Connie to do because it was getting her exposure to a potentially In new audience. you were right about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is one of the arguments I have a lot of the time is when I'm presenting something that's more press orientated, so whether it's writing a column for Maximum Pop or doing something with a magazine, etc. A lot of the time YouTubers don't look at it the same way as a musician or an actor would do where they're actually getting PR for, for the thing they're trying to promote. Um, it, Connie's initial reaction was, well, what am I going to get out of it? They're going to get more people from me tweeting about this article than I'm going to get seeing it from their organic reach. And, and she was right in that respect. But it's the same with the, the Made For You campaign that YouTube did just before Christmas. We had Emma Blackery on that. Um, no payment involved, but it was this huge campaign that in honesty didn't drive a any extra subscribers to Emma's channel, I don't think. We didn't see any kind of in increase in growth. Her, her growth was kind of the same as it has been all year. But what it did mean is when I was pitching her for record deals or for book deals, etc., suddenly the people I was speaking to who aren't as ingrained in this scene as we are knew who she was because they'd seen her on the tube on the way in or they'd seen a bus flying down Oxford Street and stuff. So it's, it's weighing up that value. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, speaking of free, do you, does everyone else feel like they get asked for a lot of free stuff still or people kind of coming to terms with fees? Yeah, I mean, we, I think those days are sort of long gone. Um, I think, I don't think we would ever, but we never offer that as, as an option really because, um, you know, you're getting, uh, great content for one thing and that isn't free. Um, you know, I think it's another part of a marketing budget that um, teams um, are now seen as very much um, uh, a part of their strategy rather than just an add-on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to say on, on kind of working with talent, although they're obviously like humans and, and people and, and sometimes uh, a, a sceptical view of it could just be it's, it's someone in their room talking to a camera um, that is actually a very difficult thing to do if anyone has tried to do it and make it interesting or appealing or engaging. Um, it, <laughs> it doesn't actually happen. Um, you know, it, it, Overnight, there's a lot of editing that goes invo involved as well. And, I mean, the way that we sort of... The way that I present um, uh, talent to um, our clients, um, it, it's really very much a partnership of two brands. It's not, you know, one person, uh, a client working with... Um, you know, a human. These are these are these are brands uh, that have built themselves up over years. They've got um, a lot of followers. Uh, they've got pretty impressive uh, cost per view and cost per engagements. Uh, you know, they they are brands that you're working with. And you know, if you just look at Connie, she's got her own book coming out. You know that you know it's not just someone making videos. There's a lot more to it. So I think um, there's a lot more. Um, respect around that definitely yeah, and the, the videos take time to make as well and the content producing so if you're doing something for free you're essentially turning down potentially other paid work or or your own content as well that you want to do and no no creator wants to bombard their channel with ad after ad after ad so it's it's kind of prioritizing which ones are going to be the best overall to do i'm definitely more open to doing things for free on my vlogging channel um, simply because they're more experiences. So, for example, again, with Becky, we went to Alton Towers for, um, I think it was called Scarefest, and that worked really well because it was something that we would have done anyway, and I could just vlog it, and it's very natural. So I don't mind those ones so much for free content. Um, Chris, going back to what you were just saying about um, you, people aren't expecting things for free, do you feel like your clients are coming to you asking to do influencer stuff or is it something that you're still pitching to that for them to do 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very much uh, a bit of both. Um, yeah. I think, uh, depending on lots of factors like their objectives, um, the type of brand that they are, if they want to, you know, be a bit more personable, a bit more um, relevant and, and human and, and a less kind of aspirational and, and glossy, um, I think... Um, uh, and then other other times we we will um, take a look at the budget and the strategy and think actually um, if we're going to do this for a certain amount of time the best use of that budget is to work with um, X number of uh, influencers over six months as opposed to putting it all behind one campaign that will have a spike and then drop off and be forgotten about. And other Chris, I mean we all have stakeholders that we've got to convince to do this. How do you convince your stakeholders that they should be working with influencers. Uh, so we're asking you for it. <laughs> we kind of have the the opposite problem. Like everyone in the company wants to do work with influencers, and it's like they're just pumped on it. Whatever. Like you go into a meeting, first thing, like okay, what we're we going to do with influence on it, and it's kind of like manage their expectations. And I think it's a it's a really interesting dis- kind of discussion we're having today because like the kind of the role of influencers in terms of marketing does seem to be almost at, like at its peak, and, and it almost feels that like there's going to be that point in terms of like the bubble will eventually burst because people have overinvested to a point and actually people start to ask kind of harder questions about what are we getting back for this so a lot of my job is just kind of explaining to people well why do you want to work with an influencer and actually when you get into it like actually probably an influencer isn't right for it or it isn't important to have someone who's got x hundred thousand or or million because one of the things i saw at super dry in terms of how we've been using influencers to date is that um, when I joined, we were only interested in basically getting people to kind of talk about our product on their channels. And then if you kind of flip back and looked at Superdry's own social channels, they, like, they weren't very good. Right? And so you've got this kind of disconnect between getting on like fabulous people and then not really having the content on your own site to back it up. So actually now we've been saying, well, we probably need to work with some smaller, really cool content creators to tell a better story about our brand so that when we do work with these kind of A-listers, there is a kind of a stronger story there. So yeah, we're, we're, there's a hell of an appetite and we're just kind of trying to dampen it down and, and use it in the right way because otherwise I think people expect a lot and then it might not deliver in the right way. I think, just jumping in, sorry, I think Chris makes an incredibly important point and that is that there's, with every influencer marketing piece, whether it's a single a single video, a single Instagram post, there are two different benefits. And one is the reach and the scale of that social placement, so reaching the audience, but the other is the resulting authentic content. So it might be that you get that holy holy grail of marrying the two perfectly and the right audience, see the right piece of authentic content, but actually if something has a small reach or, or if a piece of social content isn't that wide reaching, it's still got a huge use for the brand dumb stuff they can retweet it and suddenly they can showcase that that small reaching influencer a real person has created that authentic content so yeah it's it's about finding the right match definitely connie when you're working with a brand um what's kind of at the heart of what you're thinking are you thinking about the audience or are you thinking about the brand or both or the audience always comes first because if I don't put the audience first and I'm making something that's just for this brand, um, then again, it's about the faith the audience has in me because if they feel like I'm putting the product first, they're going to think I don't actually have a lot of faith in it because it wouldn't match with my usual content. So I have been doing this for three, four years. So I do know what my audience wants to see. I know what they like. I know what they expect of me as well. So when I say something won't work, even if the brand is sure it will, I do know better. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, sorry, lost my place. And Mark, when you're kind of working on a brand deal with Connie, are you kind of whispering in her ear, like, you know, adds, or with anyone, add some added value, or kind of what's your take on things? Are you kind of going by what the brand is expecting, or are you... Well, I think we we get everything kind of clarified at the the deal point so before any filming starts or yeah. anything we we discuss what the concept's going to be we get a clear brief from the from the agency or the brand with what exactly needs to be in and as long as everything's agreed in the first place then there shouldn't really be any issues moving forward yeah. um and yeah we've 
Connie's one who I don't really need to get in her ear like once the deal's agreed and she's happy with what needs to be in she'll she'll deliver it there's there's others that might be a bit more fussy or might try and push the boundaries a little bit and I have to sometimes remind them of the deal points that have been agreed like if you if you want this video yeah. to get approved and you want to get paid then you need to think about this but no Connie's right if the, the talent know their audience they know what's going to be liked or not liked but it's it's my job to know that at the point of negotiation in the first place I've got Lex Croucher who we work with she she also has a full-time job so she doesn't have time to be making loads of changes to her videos um she's a bit of an activist she's vegan she's quite politically charged so with all her brand deals she tends to do a script in before she even films anything so like a full script and that, that works for some people not for others yeah. but again at least with Lex then we know the brand's happy with with the content before it even gets filmed and then that avoids loads of reshoots and things as well Mark is a really good negotiator I know I always go on about how great my management is um but if there's something I really don't want to do, we can offer instead an extra tweet or an extra Instagram post, something like that, just to show the brand that yeah. there is still this value, even if you don't believe it's there. So are you happy kind of with giving added value on top of things? Yeah, absolutely. If it's, if, especially if there's something they want me to do that I'm incredibly against, but it was something they really thought was going to help. If you offer a tweet or an extra tweet or an extra Instagram post, it kind of... it. At, ways yeah. out for them something i've noticed recently when yeah. we're working on kind of big campaigns with multiple influencers involved is that the client our client the brand or the agency tend to judge back on which influencers they like the most based on added value that person was great you know irrelevant of how much they paid they did an extra instagram yeah. post for the thing us. is if i'm enjoying if the brand is great and we're working really well together it's very natural they'll often be added value anyway because yeah. i'll be tweeting about it naturally two weeks later just because I've enjoyed it so much and what's your take on that mark kind of giving extra than yeah I think again we get we get the bare minimum kind of agreed in the deal so that yeah. there's no breach of contract but um what was the what was the app that you did that you actually you play it all the time anyway and then you're pack of pets yeah pack yeah. of pets so we did this <laughs> I, I know earlier I said we don't like mobile um, apps but this, this was a game that Connie was yeah. already playing anyway and the they brand. didn't have a lot of budget but I just knew everyone was gonna love yeah. this but they got so much extra content because all Connie's fans started screenshotting their own pack of pets and then she was retweeting the ones that she liked and things and yeah. that kind of interaction can work really well and give give the extra value side of it um, but yeah it, coming up with the actual concept in the first place is 99% of the battle so like we work with you with Emma on the the Instax campaign and that was a perfect perfect timing for us we we got the brief through probably a month before Emma was due to go on tour um, her first UK headline tour with her band um, and I think two of the six uh, influences you were looking to get one was travel one was music and I was like yeah. great we've got a musician going on tour we can cover both <laughs> of those for you um, Emma was already planning on doing a tour diary vlog of her time on tour on the road and, and, and all that jazz and uh, we had meet and greets going on at the shows so we were able to give extra content to Instax in terms of they sent us enough films so that every fan who did a meet and greet could take a picture away that was taken on the camera um, and it was just a nice fit because a tour diary documenting the tour but also documenting it with the Instax mm, camera at the same time yeah um, definitely. so yeah, if you can get the actual idea right in the first place then, then that's the best best way to move forward um slightly different question change the tune a bit James, let's start with you. What learning can the influencer marketing space take or learn from other more traditional media? Are we seeing a level of maturity in the market? I think we're starting to see a level of maturity in the marketplace. Yes, there are specialist agencies like ours. There are people that know what they're talking about. There aren't people saying, will you do a video for free if we give you a free fridge? That happens less, you know what I mean? <laughs> a really? real world example. Um, I think in terms We've of... We've offered a mattress. Actually, two different mattress companies last month. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All the glamour work, yeah. Um, we, um, we, I think there are learnings all over the place. So because I know how to roll and have a good time, on Monday night I was um, at a media society event about the dying of print. So that was rock and roll. And their conclusions there was that, all right, newspapers are dying. Uh, the printed word in newspapers is dying, 
But magazines are actually having something of a renaissance because magazines have learned how to service niche um, audiences and they've learned how to diversify. So the learnings there with influencers are which audience are you servicing brilliantly in terms of how you're working with them and what else could you do? So an influencer is already starting to do that. We work with gaming influencers. We work with specific niches and they're also looking to diversify across events and other revenue streams to put it in that awful media turn of phrase the key learnings from radio radio for years and years in the commercial radio space was always known as the seven percent medium it could not get any more of ad revenue than seven percent so it looked hard at itself and it learned old language to deliver sponsorship and promotions now branded content in really effective ways and guess what the revenue's grown. It's now a 10 or 11% medium. I'm sure Chris will put me right with, I've got the wrong figure, but something like that. There we are. So, so we're, what the key learning there is that radio's turned in on itself and it's looked to deliver more meaningf meaningful connections with its audience. Dumb stuff, if a presenter's saying something's cool, then people will believe it. And that's happening in the influence space, more authentic content. And the, and the other looking at it from a macro level is a maturity of practitioners within the business. What I mean by that is you get businesses that last week were a viral distribution network and this week suddenly they're an influencer marketing specialist. You get PR agencies that take, make one appointment and they stick them at the front of a queue and suddenly they've got an influencer marketing division. It's the same team implementing it. So there has to be a maturity. There has to be a level of expertise because guess what? It's quite a lot of money to work on a really effective and, and uh, influential marketing campaign. So you can't just have people that are suddenly changing the ideas of what it is they do for a living every day. So, yeah, that's the kind of key learnings and the parallels with other parts of the media and marketing mix, I think. Chris, at the end, Chris, do you have any inputs to that? Yeah, uh, I mean... For me, the, the maturity of the market now is probably um, accountability and um, measurement of success. Um, what does 100,000 views actually mean? Um, you know, we measure uh, on top of that sort of uh, metric, um, the level of conversation around the video, the brand, um, the sentiment of that conversation, because obviously, uh, an increase in positive sentiment generally leads to more um, positive um, brand affinity and therefore you would expect that to lead on to uh, later um, acquisition and sales. So, I mean, that's the kind of model, but it's still kind of a bit uh, hypothetical. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're all kind of guilty of making it look good um, but actually, maybe we need to, um, in the ways in which um, uh, other types of media have m sort of managed that um, analysis of uh, acquisition stage and, and or even just brand uplift, really. And that's maybe a conversation that media agencies need to have uh, with YouTube and say, you know, how are we actually measuring this and how can we report that um, this video that costs this amount of money um, actually led to this much brand uplift. Um, so um, that would be the one for me. Right, I think, yeah, Chris. Yeah, I think if I was you guys, I'd take a real look at the outdoor space in the US. If you, um, one of the things I learned when I was working in, in California with GoPro is like the power of actually just having an ambassador network as opposed to thinking of influencers as almost like this singular kind of entity. Actually, if you're kind of smart and you build a team of ambassadors that you have on retainer for the course of so many months over the course of the year, then you can actually get some really good content, kind of set stipulations in terms of like videos or photos on a monthly basis. And then it works a lot more effectively. Um, Patagonia have a really nice model. They have quite a broad athlete and ambassador team that they work with. They're all obviously kitted out in their gear. And then essentially these guys will send in their photos of them out or their videos doing stuff. And then if I, if Patagonia want to use it, they'll they'll kind of they'll they'll basically give them an agreed rate for the kind of the, the photo use on their social channels or if they're going to use it in email marketing, and this and and that works really well for them. And they're also just quite smart as well, like asking people like when they're sending in a photo, like give us three different captions. So then you've got three different stories that you can think to kind of tell, 
about a particular image as opposed to just being kind of stuck with one image and like not really sure what, where it kind of fits. So yeah, definitely if you get chance, like for me, like coming in and seeing the fashion industry kind of pisses me off. It's a, it's a bit boring to be honest, just seeing people hold up a cardigan and talk about how soft and fluffy it is. Like I could not give a shit about that. Um, tell me a story, show me something interesting, show me that you got a personality. And then I think that's going to be much more interesting because otherwise it's just, I don't know, people will start to switch off because they see it day in, day out. Do you kind of feel, Connie, that you're showing what kind of works better, like naturally integrating a product into your video or more like a show and tell? Uh, definitely naturally integrating. I can't remember the last time I did a sort of show and tell video. It's been so long. Um, but yeah, you'll get a lot more if you wear something and just saying in the description box, this outfit is from here or having it as your top comment if you're wondering where my outfit is from. Um, and then you're wearing it in Instagram photos, etc. That works so well. Yeah. At Social Circle, we have a list of the seven things that make you scream when running an influencer marketing campaign. Um, what is one thing that makes each of you pull your hair out? Should we start with you, Connie, and work? Yeah, uh, the thing that annoys me the most and I'm sure it probably annoys you the most, is when you are asked to remove something that wasn't mentioned in the brief. A brand should just, because we give, you, give them so much time to plan the perfect brief, have everything that I should say and everything I absolutely should not say, and then to suddenly come back and say, oh, actually, can you say this? It's much harder to add in content than yeah. it is to remove content. So if you need something said, you have to put it in the brief beforehand, otherwise it's not happening. It's hard to pick just one. Um, <laughs> I think, and I get why we get asked this, but it's the when you get that initial email through and it's, what's your rate? And it's like, well, why don't you give us a bit more info on what the project is, what you're looking to achieve, and we can look at, evaluate, not just the reach that the guys have, but how much work's gonna have to go yeah. into it. So we, we always have our like kind of rack rate card where we, we have in our mind what we're looking to get based on the reach of the guys but everything's such like case-by-case -case basis that we'd much rather discuss in more detail what you're looking for and things so that's that's one of ours and getting asked for the rate card over and over again by the same agency as well we're always like can't you just save it come on <laughs> so. um, Chris? yeah i think for me is when money is the first question like it should be a creative discussion first and then you work out what's achievable so i think like if, it could, if you could start on that basis, that would be a much stronger place to be. I'll go with a kind of a lack of, how does one argue with this, right? So we're working with a, um, a young YouTuber who is 10 years of age, who I won't name. And he, um, his agent is his father. So we're chasing him to meet a deadline that his father has signed off on a contract. And the uh, conversation uh, that you get back is, well, he's got to do his homework and then he can look at the video. Where'd you go? You can't say my brand deal's more important than his homework and his education. How does that work? So that's kind of um, very kind of a particular frustration. I think if you like a more professional one and a, and a broader one is a lack of understanding on, if you like, questioning the brief. So exactly to Chris's point earlier, why do you want to work with influencers? What are you looking for? Because there might be many different approaches to work with an influencer. There might be many different influencers. So a lack of understanding on why influencer marketing is right. Uh, so I think for me, it would probably be the legal issue, which I touched on at the start, and how legal teams can really kill creative just by cutting and slicing up until you're left with something that they could have just paid a creative agency to do and to put out um, you know that's not what we're trying to achieve here we're, it's more of a organic branded piece of content that has that authenticity and, and kind of realness about it um, and with that comes uh, a bit of rough around the edges I guess so um, there would be uh, that one uh, uh, yeah, and then the other one I was um, thinking about was um, kind of working with um, managers actually um, but in the sense that when you get a brief signed off and it's very clear what you uh, want to do but then you sort of say so how's the video going to look and the response <coughs> might be well it's like well they're just going to kind of freestyle it uh, don't worry it's going to look great they know their audience is like okay I get all of that but you know this isn't a video that they're just making for their audience they're actually making this and being paid for 
on behalf of the brand and there needs to be a little bit of okay we get that this isn't just kind of talking about her day to day this is Connie talking about a brand on behalf of the brand so I think there needs to be there usually is but some, in some cases there's this sort of protection around talent that they can't ever be questioned and they can't ever be held accountable for the content that they create and I think if you're being paid for something then you absolutely can but within reason and very respectful. Yeah, I think, I think that's again when it comes down to just managing the brief between everyone and the creative in the first place and I think if a if a brand's wanting to work with a creator they'll have, you'd, you'd like to think they'll have studied their channel, they'll have seen yeah. the kind of style of content they do and that's why they want to work with them is because they like that style of video so... Exactly. I just think stepping in there, it's um, it's all about um, the processes, isn't it? I mean, at Social Circle, we have the contract at the first stage, but then a video briefing document that gets signed by the client, gets signed by the talent or the management, and gets signed by us, so that everybody's in agreement. And that says what you can say, what you can't say, and has a broad creative outlook. And then the other thing that we always say is we never, ever offer our clients approval. We always offer offer our clients veto and it's a subtle distinction because creators shouldn't have their work approved but if the video briefing document isn't met then we can say well actually we can veto because that wasn't done or that was done so yeah it's a really good point it's about sorting processes out isn't it yeah we'll, we'll always walk away at the point of that that video brief if we don't think it's going to fit we had we had one with connie that was quite high money offered to do um a video promoting a, a glasses brand uh, like a order, ordering glasses online and um, they essentially wanted it to just look like a TV advert for, for their product whereas we were going back saying well actually if you look at Connie's channel her biggest videos are her impressions videos some of them are over 5 million views if if you want what we can do such is such a shame the video we offered was so good well you did it anyway yeah. without their brand in it yeah, in the end, we, didn't it you? was um, <laughs> going to be just impressions of characters with glasses because there's so many beloved glasses characters and they just couldn't understand why that would work Thank you very much for coming, everyone. And thank you to the wonderful panel. Well, that's it for this special bonus edition of the Media Podcast. Thanks so much to Social Circle for sponsoring it. If you would like to fund a future episode of the pod, then do get in touch at themediapodcast.com. And that applies to you as well, of course, if you're an individual donor. It's thanks to your donations that we're able to keep the show on the road. And I'm pleased to say we will be back with an ordinary episode of the pod next week. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill for PPM Productions. We'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.